Good morning. Good morning. As Colin said, we are considering how buildings fit in uh, to the kingdom of Jesus, and mostly over the next four weeks, we'll be thinking about church buildings. Now, last week, I promised that this would not just be a lecture on the history of various church buildings. And I have to confess, that's actually a bit of a lie. <laughs> this sermon will start um, with a little lesson from the history of a church building. Uh, I'll also start with a little story uh, from my own life. Uh, the sermon this morning is called The Church Building Can Be a Time Machine for the Gospel. And I hope uh, that in these opening stories and through the passage and the rest of the sermon that we'll be excited for the opportunity we have as Christians, first and foremost, but also as a church with a new church building to send the gospel into the future. That generations and generations after us will come to hear the same gospel message that we have heard, the same gospel message that preached 2,000 years ago, and that many will come to faith through that. And the first story I want to tell is the story of Westminster Abbey. Uh, now back in 1066, uh, in the UK, or in England, well 1066 was a big year. Uh, there was of course the Battle of Hastings, uh, William the Conqueror, the Normans uh, won the battle, and then in Christmas Day 1066, uh, William was coronated in Westminster Abbey. Uh, that was uh, the year actually that Westminster Abbey opened as a church. It had been an abbey for about 100 years by that point, uh, but then it became a church predominantly uh, for royal events, predominantly for royal funerals, uh, but also uh, just for regular church life. The year 1066. Last year, on the 19th of September 2022, in Westminster Abbey, for the Queen's funeral, these words were heard. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Christ rose from the dead and offers life to all, abundant life now and life with God in eternity. Gospel words, 956 years after the church opens, 956 years of the gospel resounding in Westminster Abbey. Let me tell you a second story, uh, this of my own life. Uh, this is really a story uh, about my grandma. My grandma was born in 1930, somewhere near Liverpool. She was the oldest of seven kids. The whole family uh, were churchgoers. For as long as I knew my grandma, most of her life, she was a Christian. She heard the gospel again and again and again. And then in 2010, she became ill. And she died at the start of July. I was 13 at the time. I don't remember much or pretty much anything of what was said at the funeral. I remember we sung as the deer pants for the water, and I remember crying my eyes out. I had been to church pretty much my whole life as a 13-year-old, hearing the gospel at time and time again. But it wasn't until considering, considering the death of my grandma that I began to seriously ask the question, what happens when we die? My younger sister, who was nine at the time, asked my mum, and shortly after my grandma died, where is grandma now? And straight away, with full assurance and hope, my mother says, grandma, she's in heaven now. 
Two days after my grandma's funeral, I became a Christian. My grandma doesn't know that yet. I'm really excited to tell her and I can't wait to see the smile on her face. The gospel that my grandma loved throughout her whole life, that she handed down uh, to her daughter, my mother, that gospel was at work in her life and at work through her death. The gospel is a message uh, preached in church buildings, shown in lives that has been on the go for almost 2,000 years. The existence of Christians means that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, the power of God for salvation can be passed on from generation to generation, just like it was with my grandma and my mother. The existence of church buildings, buildings dedicated to the glory of God, means that the gospel has a permanent home in a community, a home that will hopefully last far longer than any of the Christians who worship there. A church building can be a time machine for the gospel. We're going to consider this from the book of 2 Timothy. So please turn there in your Bibles. There might be an old Bible lying around the side of the room if you don't have one. Uh, we're going to read uh, from chapter 1, we're going to read all of chapter 1 and the first two verses of chapter 2. Uh, but keep it open after I read because we'll be referring back and also reading a bit more from chapter 2. Uh, just to set the scene a little for 2 Timothy, uh, this is a letter from Paul uh, to Timothy. And Timothy uh, is somebody that Paul has loved so much that he even refers to Timothy as his child. Uh, Timothy is a younger pastor and Paul is really hoping to encourage and mentor him. As Paul writes this, he is in prison. He is in prison because of his preaching of the gospel, and he realizes that he is soon about to die. He talks of himself being poured out as a drink offering. Paul's final communication, we think, with Timothy in this letter. And so, all of chapter 1 and the first two verses of chapter 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. <coughs> For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy call, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. 
but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Amen. Now please do keep that open, and I'll be reading a bit more from chapter 2 a little later on. In these verses, what I really want us to see is the generational nature of the passage. Now Paul talks time and time again about those who have gone before and those who will come after him. For those who have come before, he is thankful for the faith that they have, that they have then passed down. And for those who are to come, he is hopeful that he and Timothy and others will be able to pass on this same gospel message. And look who Paul addresses this to. In verse 2, Timothy, my beloved child. Immediately we have two generations, Paul and Timothy. In verse 3, uh, Paul remembers that his ancestors had this faith in God. There he has an unnumbered amount of generations in mind. In verse 5, Paul talks of the faith that first dwelt in Timothy's grandmother, uh, and then in Timothy's mother, and then in Timothy. Paul there has three generations in mind. In verse 2 of chapter 2, Paul tells Timothy to entrust the message that he has heard uh, to others who will then teach others. And there we have four generations. We have Paul, we have Timothy, uh, we have the others, and then the others that they will teach. In Paul's uh, dying words, what he has in mind is the flourishing of the gospel onwards and onwards. Paul's heart is for the gospel to travel through time. Paul's ambition is not at all that he would be remembered. Later in the letter, we see that Paul's motivation for all of this is the crown of righteousness that is awaiting him when he dies and goes to heaven. He's excited to hear the words from God, well done, my good and faithful servant. Paul is more than happy to be forgotten, but he is desperate that the gospel message will not be. And so there are two immediate questions I want us to consider. Why does Paul think it's so important that the gospel travels through time? And what is this gospel that he is so desperate to share. Now, to answer that first question, why is it so important that the Gospels travel through time? We're going to read a bit more of chapter 2, so please turn there again. We're going to read verses 8 to 13 for the answer. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my Gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything 
for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, but trustworthy for. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul considers this gospel message so important that he is unashamed and unafraid to be in chains for it. He is fully aware that he is about to die because of his proclaiming of this gospel message. Uh, the reason he gives there in verse 10 is for the sake of the elect. Uh, the elect being those who have faith or will have faith in Christ Jesus. Paul's work, his whole life, his whole ministry is dedicated to them that they may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. He shares the gospel so the elect will obtain salvation in Christ Jesus and have eternal glory in and with Jesus. What a hope that is to dedicate a life to. What a mission that, that is to live by. I hope that the elect will have life in Jesus and even reign with Jesus, he says in verse 11. It is great that Paul shares the gospel and so many came to faith through him. But could you imagine if he was the only one? That he shared the gospel with Timothy and Timothy came to believe it. But could you imagine if Timothy then didn't share the gospel? Or if Timothy didn't find others to share the gospel after him? If Paul was the only one, then Christianity would have died out by the second century. You and I would go our whole lives without ever knowing the sweet love of Jesus, without ever getting to hear the greatest news ever. If the gospel did not travel through time, we would not be here today. The lifespan of Christianity would be in decades and not millennia. Paul realizes how vital, how necessary and how beautiful it is for the gospel to travel through time from generation to generation. If that's why this message is so important, what is then this message that Paul is so determined to share? Uh, look again at verses 8 to 10 of chapter 1, and Paul lays out for us what this gospel is. He says uh, something like this, The gospel is the testimony about our Lord, who saved us not by our works, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality. I'm just going to read that bit again, because I want that to be stuck in your eyes. The gospel is the testimony about our Lord, who saved us not by our works, but by the grace of Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality. This gospel message, this gospel story, is a story that starts with God. He is the one who takes the initiative. He is the one who has saved us. He is the one who has called us. It is for his purposes, and it is by his grace that he has saved us. And so your story is not really your story, but it is a part of God's big story of reaching out to sinners. Reaching out to sinners, and not with condemnation, but the gift of salvation. The Lord has saved us, uh, Paul writes, not by our works, but by grace. And this is one of the great truths of the Reformation. 
uh, the doctrine of salvation by faith alone. It was a doctrine that had been uh, long forgotten and needed to be rediscovered. It is a doctrine that says that you did not or cannot become a Christian because you are good enough. It says that you are not still a Christian today because you have been good enough. The standard of good enough is perfection. The standard of good enough uh, is shown to us in Jesus Christ who was perfect. Now if you want to, you can try and become a Christian. You can try and obtain this salvation by being perfect. And if you succeed in being perfect, then you'll get it. But perfection is a standard we fall very far short. Even this morning. Even during this service together. The sinful thoughts that we have had would declare us imperfect. Your works will not so cannot save you. But the works of Jesus Christ will. Jesus Christ was perfect, tempted as we are, but never giving in to sin. Meaning that by faith in Jesus Christ, his perfection, his righteousness is given as a free gift to us. These works of Jesus Christ that Paul uh, talks of include him saving us and include him abolishing death and bringing life and immortality. That is what he says in verse 10. Jesus Christ abolished death by dying. Death giving its best shot, trying to, uh, to hold down Jesus. Death saw Jesus nailed to a tree, hanging in agony, eventually suffocating to death. But death did not hold him. Jesus Christ demolished death by rising from the grave again. Uh, he left the tomb, he went and had breakfast uh, with his friends. He hung around for a bit and then he went uh, to heaven. Never died again. Death abolished. Death demolished, death defeated by Jesus. And the hope for us is that Jesus has given, again in verse 10, he has given us that life and immortality that he has. That eternal life, one of the resurrection, is given to us. That we who had a future, a future to be sent to hell, are given a future of eternal, immortal life in and with and through Jesus. That in that beautiful eternal life, we will walk the streets of gold. We will breathe the pure air of heaven. We will revel forever in the goodness of Jesus Christ with all those that he has saved. That's the gospel message. That's the message that Paul so desperately wanted to travel through time. So that the elect would obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. Now as Christians, as a church, do we not want exactly the same thing? Do we not want our children and our children's children and their children to hear this same beautiful good news of the gospel? Do we not want our friends, our colleagues, our classmates, our teachers, our teammates, uh, those who work in shops or the post office or our hairdressers? Our old, our young, our strong, our weak, do we not so desperately want them to hear this good news of Jesus Christ? To show them the greatest love of all, the love that is found in Jesus, that they too may obtain this salvation, that they too may have life and immortality through the gospel, through Jesus Christ.
That is our hope. How then does a church building play into this? The hope, uh, regardless of whether we have a church building or not, is the same. The hope is for the gospel uh, to go forth today uh, and forevermore here in Kintour, through Kintour Community Church. But a church building can be, and the word can is really crucial here, the church building can be a time machine for the gospel. It can be a tool to help the gospel go out today and to go out forevermore. If you were to read through the New Testament, when the New Testament talks of church planting, it often actually talks more about planting the gospel than planting the church. It is then the gospel that grows, that takes root, that becomes established. A church building says to all that the gospel is planted here. It says to the community that the gospel lives and breathes and grows and is shared and goes forth here in Kintore. A new church building helps the gospel take deep root. Now, the gospel is already planted here in Kintore. It was planted before the church acquired a building. It is planted primarily because there are Christians here, because there is a church here, a church here that believes and loves the gospel and wants the rest of the community to come and hear the gospel. Now that is far more important than a church building. A church building is just a tool to help plant the gospel deep. It helps plant the gospel deep today. And it will be a help to having the gospel planted deep here in Kintore in 10 years' time, or in 50 years' time, or 100 years' time, or even 956 years' time. A church building can be a time machine for the gospel. How then? If we believe that a church building can be a time machine for the gospel, how does that, that affect how we treat and care for and think about the building that we have been given? Uh, there are five ways that I want us to consider. Uh, a couple of them will get quite practical. Uh, the first is that we will take care of the building. Uh, now at the moment uh, when you go up to the building, uh, you will see week on week, you will see progress. Uh, if you've been uh, on the journey the whole way, you'll have uh, known the place as a furniture shop uh, full of sofas and lamps and all that sort. Uh, you'll have seen those things all go away. You'll have seen the carpets ripped up. You'll have seen walls change colour. The progress in the building is really quite obvious at the moment. Uh, but with a church building and with most buildings, uh, once the sort of main stage is complete, the ongoing maintenance doesn't look quite so obvious. It can be very easy uh, to sink a lot of money uh, into fixing a roof, for instance. Uh, and really, for most people, they will not notice that any work has been done. The money given, the pockets emptied, the work done has an impact, but it's not quite so obvious. And that can be a discouragement. That can make us ask questions like, well, why do why would we want to maintain a building that costs so much to do? But if we are serious about the gospel traveling through time, and the church building being a vehicle for it, then we will have to give and work sacrificially to care, take care of, and invest in the building. If we want to hand this building down to the next generation, they may hand it down to the generation after that. We don't want to hand down a building that is falling to bits and dilapidated, crumbling safety hazards. 
We want to hand them something precious that will help them reach out with the gospel to the communities that they exist in. We want this building to be a blessing to those who that come after us that the gospel may flourish here in Kintal. A neglected building, a building falling apart, also shouts a very loud message to the community. It says that what this building represents is not really that treasure. If they see uh, bits hanging off the building and um, doors falling off, it's not going to invite anybody in. It's not going to say that these Christians care about this building or potentially even this village. But a well-careful building declares to everybody that what is contained in this building is treasures, that it is precious, that it is worth looking after. What is contained in that building is the life-giving, life-transforming news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Uh, number two. Uh, if we uh, believe that this church building can be a time machine for the gospel, then it will be a building primarily for the gospel. Now, rightfully and helpfully, church buildings can be used in lots of different ways to bless the community. Uh, most churches uh, are used by other organisations uh, in good ways. And they, uh, those organisations are part of a link to try and share the gospel with people in the community. But that cannot become the primary purpose of a building. The primary purpose of this building, the church building, must be for the proclamation of the gospel. And so it will take time and effort and care into making sure that it is an inviting space, that there is good coffee, that there are comfy seats, that the lighting is quite atmospheric. But these things are all adornments for the real message of Jesus Christ for the gospel. These things are all meant to point people straight towards Jesus. It is not just to be a nice building for niceness sake, but a nice building that may invite people to come and meet Jesus. My uh, dream, my real hope, is that in that new church building, if the walls were able to talk, what they would say is how wonderful Jesus is. That they would declare how beautiful he is. That they would declare uh, what he has done, what he has done in abolishing death. They would declare what he has done in giving life and immortality. And they would declare his glory. The third thing is that we will use the building to invest in youth. Now naturally, as we are thinking about the gospel traveling through time, uh, the whole church, uh, building or not, will need to invest in youth and share the gospel with those younger than us. As I said earlier, if we do not share the gospel with the next generation, then Christianity will die out very quickly. A church building, very practically, can help us share the gospel with youth. Pre-COVID, we were able, uh, with the Bothy, to run something called Ignite. Uh, if you work around that, it was a, a youth ministry that was really aimed at reaching out to unchurched young people. Uh, a decent a number came along they came to a place where they were loved. They came to a place where they heard about Jesus. And it was a wonderful thing. Having a new church building gives us an opportunity to dream and plan and pray for how we will use that building to reach out to others. Not just at young people, but to all people around about us. It is a fantastic opportunity. 
to ask God, how will you use us in this building to reach those with the gospel who have not heard the gospel? Now, the fourth thing is that we will pray. If we believe the church building can be a time machine for the gospel, we will need to pray that it is so. And here is what I would love for us as a church to pray. And at the end, I will pray pretty much this. Pray that you would see only a tiny fraction of the amazing things God will do in Kintour through that church building. Pray that you would see God do amazing things. That you would see our young people baptised there. That there would be random members of the community who would come in and hear the gospel. Pray that their teams will be trained and equipped to go out and plant the gospel in other towns and villages. Pray that each Sunday we'll be wishing we could fit more chairs in the sanctuary. Pray that we would see revival happen in Kintore. Pray really big prayers. But pray that you would only see a tiny fraction. Because what God will do in that building will far outlive however long we are there for. Pray that long after you die, no one in that building will know your name, but so many will know the name of Jesus. Pray that in hundreds of years, the gospel will resound in that building and it will go forth from that building. The same gospel that Paul hands down to Timothy. The same gospel that we hear in Kintour Community Church today. The same gospel that we are going to treasure for eternity. Pray that it is spoken there. And the fifth and final thing is that we will guard the gospel. Now, now this is a sermon uh, about church buildings, but it is primarily about holding on to and treasuring and sharing the gospel. Look again at verse 14 of chapter 1. Paul says to Timothy, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. That good deposit is the gospel message that Paul has given to Timothy. If we, as a church, forget the gospel, then the church building will be of absolutely zero use to us. Sadly, if you were to walk the streets of Aberdeen or to look at the skyline, you'll see many churchy-looking buildings, but very few churches meeting inside them. Many have exchanged uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ for a nightclub. Or some are turned into flats, or they are bars. If the walls of those buildings could talk, they would no longer declare the gospel of Jesus, but tell an empty story. And quite frankly, it's very sad to see. Buildings once dedicated to the glory of God, now dedicated to completely different purposes. And the reality is, in the next five years or so, Unless there is a huge intervention of God, many more church buildings around about us are going to close. Now churches close for many reasons. But a lot of these churches will close because they have forgotten the gospel at some stage. That in some of these places the gospel has stopped being preached long before the doors have finally been shut. And so as a church I really hope uh, that we will treasure the building, that we will care for it, uh, that we will invest in youth and one another with it, that we will pray for it. But we must make sure that we as a church, by the help of the Holy Spirit, hold fast to the gospel. 
We have no other good message to share with the world or hold on to. But we have the gospel that we must, must hold on to. I hope then, as Kintour Community Church, we have this new chapter with the church building. I hope we look on it with great excitement. Excitement for the permanent space that we will have. Excitement for the way that God will use it. To spread his gospel, his message of hope, of salvation in Jesus Christ with the, with the community of Kintour today and long after we die. We place all our hope, we place this building into his hands to see what he will do. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for all the gifts that you have given us. That you have given us salvation in Jesus Christ. That you have given us life and immortality. We thank you for this gift of the church building. But we pray that each of us would only see a tiny fraction of how you will use that church building. Lord, we want to see our young people baptized. We want to see members of the community come and hear the gospel. We want to see teens set out to plant the gospel. Lord, we want to see uh, the sanctuary too full to fit everyone in. We want to see revival happen. Uh, but we pray that there will be so much more that you will do that we do not see. We pray that there will be hundreds of years of gospel flourishing in Kintour. And that this building will be a part of that if you receive it. Lord, we want to see that revival happen now and forevermore. We want to see people come to know Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we have a message of life to share with them. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you help us to guard that good deposit, to treasure and protect and preach and proclaim the gospel, this beautiful news of Jesus Christ and salvation he gives to us. As in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.